You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. All right, sometimes when we come to the Bible, we come to the Bible as historians and we look and we read and we find out what is the Bible saying about something that happened at a certain point in time. Like I want to gather information so that I know it. And this is a good, this is a good thing to learn about the Bible. Sometimes when we come to the Bible, we come to the Bible as soldiers that are looking and listening for their next set of marching orders. Like, what is God having his church do through this passage? What is he speaking to the church? And so today we're going to come as both a little bit of knowledge for your head and then some marching orders for your heart and feet and hands to know what it is that God is calling us to do. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We're going to be talking about the conversion of Saul. This is when this guy named Saul, who um, was a, um, a Jewish Pharisee, he was a leader in the community, uh, he began to get wind of this, what he would call a cult, and they referred to it as the way. Like these are the earliest Christians. The church began in Jerusalem and began to spread out. And when the Jewish leaders got wind of this, it was their, um, the reason they existed was to go and snuff out these things to protect uh, their way of life. And so uh, they would find people that were the early Christians and Paul or Saul here uh, was one of the most extreme in hunting down Christians. And so he would find them. Uh, the Bible says that men and women he would drag to prison. Some people like Stephen uh, were actually stoned to death and killed under his watch. Like he guarded their, the clothes of the people that went and stoned Stephen. And so this is not a great guy. But we read today about the moment that he met Jesus. And this moment changed literally everything in his life. So we'll start in verse, uh, we'll start at the beginning, verse one. I'm gonna read a bunch and then we're gonna go back and break down this passage. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street 
and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with all authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So there's this man, Saul, going down the road to do harm to Christians. And then in a moment, Jesus appears to him. Uh, He loses his sight. Jesus calls him and says, go and pray and wait, and then we'll tell you what to do. Then Jesus appears to this man, Ananias, and says, go and you pray over Saul. He's going to be waiting for you. And so through this whole passage, there are some things that I I want to just draw your attention to. If you're taking notes, uh, I have four things this morning that I want to look at. Uh, Normally, what we do is... I just like to end with the best one normally. Like, I give you one, two, three, but then I, like, really love the last one. It's like the big ending, you know. Today, I'm going to start with the one that I think uh, is the biggest takeaway from this passage, okay? So I'm going to start with the best, and it's this. Number one, no one is too far gone for God. No one. When Jess and I got married, we were like broke, like real broke. Like uh, I got fired from my job the week before we got married and I didn't want to tell Jess because I didn't want to be that guy that they were saying like, she's marrying a bum and I'll be like, yeah, it's true technically, you know? So I was like, I can't tell her, her daddy. I can't let anybody know that I don't have a job. I got to keep this a secret. And so we got married and in the beginning, Things were like real lean and we were eating ramen noodles because we had to, not because we wanted them. You know what I mean? Like it was tough times. So we didn't have money for things like car maintenance. Uh, If I got in the car and I could put gas in the car, then that's what the car was going to get from me. You know, that's the maintenance. I fill it up with gas. So oil changes we didn't do. Tire rotations. Never did a tire rotation in my life. I figured the tires are rotating while I'm driving down the street. That's, That's good enough for me, you know? So... One morning I get up and go outside, I notice that uh, one of my tires has lost a bunch of air. And so as I'm driving down the road, it's like I got a little lean to me, you know, because one of these things are almost flat. So I drive to the tire shop and I say, hey, can y'all put some air in my tire? This thing is messed up. And so I went and I sat down. They came out and they said, Mr. Cotton, uh, could you come look at this? And just so y'all know, that ain't ever good when they ask you to come look at something at the tire shop. So I got out. 
And uh, they said, okay, uh, here's your tire. And they showed me, they said, now it has metal coming out all around the tire. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. I mean, I've seen that. I, I figured that was a feature, you know, more traction. I thought this was a good thing. They said, no, no, this is a terrible thing. We can't let you drive on these tires. And I was like, I don't have any choice. I got to drive on these tires. I just need you to put some air in these tires. And they said, we can't put air in these tires. These, these tires are too far gone. What's going to happen is you're going to be driving down the road. Your tire's going to blow up and you're going to die. I was like, oh, Lord. Okay, so I held my breath. I swiped my credit card and I got me some new tires that day. But this is the, this is the whole point here is that they came out and they said, these things are too far gone. As people, this is what we do with other people. A lot of times, even if we don't say it or we don't think it outright, there's something in us somewhere that we look at someone whose life is a mess. And a lot of times, whether we know it or not, we think about them and we say, man, that's a shame. They're too far gone. They're too messed up. Let me tell you, God has never said that once. There's nobody that's too far gone for God. If there was, Saul would have been a perfect example of someone that's too far gone. The Bible says he's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he was planning to go. He got these letters so that he could go arrest men and women that he found that were followers of Jesus. If anybody's too far gone, it's Saul. He's literally hunting down Christians and killing them. His mission in life was, I've got to get rid of these people that follow Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, Jesus didn't say he's too far gone. Jesus made a habit of loving people that we would say are too far gone. People like Zacchaeus, a tax collector, despised and hated. Nobody liked him. People make fun of him. All of these things. Jesus sees him and he says, what do you say? Hey, Let's go have dinner. Let's get together. And someone like Peter. Peter, who made mistake after mistake, wrong decision after wrong decision, and eventually ends up denying that he even knew Jesus. And they were like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, I wasn't with Jesus. Don't even be saying that. Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. Like, he, he would be too far gone, but Jesus said, no, he's not. And you got someone... Literally, Jesus is on the cross, and there's a thief on a cross beside him. And we would look at this guy, and we'd say, this guy, he's a thief. He deserves to die. He's being crucified. He's already been convicted, tried, convicted, and punished. I mean, he should die. And if anybody's too far gone, like this guy who's a thief on a cross, he's too far gone. And that guy turns to Jesus. He says, have mercy on me. And Jesus said to him, did he say, you're too far gone? No. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Even you and me, every one of us, at some point, maybe someone thought you were too far gone. I know for a fact of people that go to church here that were strung out, addicted, in jail. Uh, one guy told me I loved it. He said, I have a hard time going to church here at the beginning when I first started coming. I was like, why is that? He said, because there's a lot of police around. <laughs> I was like, oh, they, they're just around, you know? To, he's like, yeah, I know, but I'm not used to being so close to police and not running, you know? <laughs> I love that so much. People that we look at and we say, man, 
they messed their life up. They're too far gone. Jesus said, no, they're not. Even someone like you and me, maybe you've lived a life that has been not strung out on drugs, not addicted, not in jail, all these things, but you just lived a good life, but you've lived it for yourself. The Bible says we were all sinners, and God saw us in our sin, and he was moved with compassion for us, and out of his great love, he extends to us mercy and grace and forgiveness. In a world where we should be too far gone, Jesus said, no, they're not. Even if you can't see God at work in someone's life, let me tell you this. They're not too far gone. You probably have people in your life right now. If I said, who fits that mold for you? Like, who would you say, man, they messed up too much? And you think of somebody maybe in your family, maybe an old friend. And you say, I don't even, I don't see God at work in their life at all. Up until this point, nobody saw God at work in Saul's life either. He's walking down the road to do harm to Christians. And Jesus, in a moment, shows up and changes everything. It happened in a flash. No one expected it, yet there it was. Jesus came onto the scene and everything changed for someone who was supposed to be too far gone. Y'all remember that Super Bowl, Super Bowl 51, a few years ago? It was the third quarter. There were two minutes and six seconds left in the third quarter. The Patriots, led, uh, they were behind 28 to 3. Atlanta Falcons had 28 points. Patriots had three points. And everybody around was like, it's over. This game's done. And everybody thought the Patriots are finished. It's too far gone. Everybody except me. I knew, you know, I'm a Patriots fan, so I knew we had it in. Everybody count them out, but it wasn't over. And they went on to win the game 34-28. Let me ask you this. In their life right now, who do you know that is down 28-3 where things don't look like it's going to work out for them? Who do you know right now? Maybe a son, a daughter, a mother, father, a husband, a wife. There are connect cards that are in my desk. You know, we talk about a connect card, fill it out. Da -da. I got connect cards in my desk of people. One of them literally says, I have no interest in following Jesus. And it's been in my desk for years. And every now and then when I open up my desk, I'll pull out that connect card I'll sit on my desk and I'll pray. I say, God, please move in their life. Draw them to you. Open up their heart. Let their eyes be open to see. Sometimes, to be honest with you, I pulled that thing out and I said, yeah, shouldn't I just throw this one out? I mean, it's been years. If anything was going to happen, it would happen. And I'll sit there and I'll look at that. And I've had that thought before, like, should I, hang, should I keep hanging on to this? And I'll tell you, all of heaven says, yes, hang on. Somebody today that you think is too far gone, God can change their life in a moment. So who is it? From you, maybe they need a text or a call. Maybe they need an invitation to have coffee come to church, come to dinner, come over to my house, let's talk, let's sit down and just hang out together. I thought that they were too far gone, but I still believe that God can do something great in their life. Nobody's too far gone for God. Amen? Number two, 
Jesus takes persecution personally. Look at this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, if I were Saul, I'd probably say, I didn't. I don't even know you. Don't, don't blame me. You know, it wasn't me. I don't know. Who is it? What does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't even say, hey, Saul, stop it. Stop messing with these people that I love. Stop hurting my church. Quit doing that. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, why are you persecuting me? Like Jesus takes it personally. God takes family seriously. Jesus takes this personally. You ever been around somebody that has like, they're like real big on family. Like, don't talk about my family. Kind of, I was at, when I was in high school, I had this friend and we were hanging out at his house and he had an older brother. And he was talking about his older brother and his older brother was being rotten towards him. He's like, I can't stand this guy. He's a jerk. I was like, hmm. He's like, he's a liar. I don't ever want to see him again. He's a joke. I was like, yeah, yeah, he is a jerk. He's like, hey, don't talk about my brother like that. I was like, what you mean? You're talking about me. You, you just said it. He's like, yeah, but that's my brother, not your brother. Don't talk to him that way. You know what I mean? Listen, I'll tell you this. I read this quote this week, and I loved it. It said, no blow struck on earth goes unfelt in heaven by Jesus. Like no blow struck on earth goes unfelt in heaven by Jesus. When you persecute one of his children, Jesus says, it's the same as you slamming me. Like you slam them, you slamming me. I want, to, I want you to know, as a church, we cannot get this idea that we are the only church around that is doing everything right. Okay, one, I'll tell you, we're not. And two, I'll say, uh, we're probably not even doing everything right. Like, we're trying our best, but I guarantee you there are things that other places are doing right that we're not doing right. We try. What happens a lot of times is people become very, very critical of other churches, of other places, of other things that are going on. And they start to, uh, I've seen this a lot on social media. I've seen it. Actually, I've seen people build careers on YouTube where they're just, their whole thing is, I'm going to tear down this other person that's uh, a Christian, that's a believer, but they don't agree with me on everything. So I'm just going to rip them apart and rip them to shreds. I would tell you uh, in this place, this is not how we talk about other believers and other Christians. We, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether they go to this church or they go to a church down the road, uh, we love them and honor them and we show them uh, the utmost respect. We do not tear down our brothers and sisters in Christ because to talk and slam them is to do it to the Lord himself. And so I would be very careful. And before you start to think about uh, criticizing this person and that person and talking bad about all these people, say, Lord, I want to be honoring. I want my words to glorify you and to bring glory to you. I'm going to speak with honor. First John 4, 20 and 21 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. This is strong. 
For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If God loves them, then I am going to love them. Now, sometimes there are things that we uh, call out and we talk about, especially teachings and ideas that are uh, toxic to the church and to believers. Like there are things that are out there in the world that are not about Jesus and they lead people away from Jesus. Those things, we obviously will sit here and we'll tell you uh, where we believe that uh, we see teachings like that. But for brothers and sisters in Christ, we have all kinds of grace and we walk in humility and honor and love towards them. And I will tell you this, you may be in here and people could be talking about you because of how you live for God. I've known people, they used to have lots of friends when they were out and they were doing all these wild things, you know, they were out with the blah, blah, blah on this street doing this and that. And it was crazy and fun and they loved them. And then they got saved and they went to church and they started to like Jesus started to transform their life. And people started to say, you aren't fun anymore. You're not like you used to be. I don't like you anymore. They're like what's going on with you? Are you holier than now? Why are you pretender? I know what you used to be like. I know who do you think you are doing this stuff? And people begin to talk about believers. And I'll tell you this, if this is you, if you feel like people are slamming me uh, because of how I love the Lord and try to follow and walk after him, I will tell you this, you are not alone in the persecution. Just as Jesus says here, when it's happening to you, he says, but I'm here and they're doing it to me. So You're not alone in that ever. Remain faithful to him throughout all of it, and he will encourage your heart. In fact, the Bible says that that God sings songs over us. Um, In Psalm 32, it says that he shouts and sings songs of deliverance over his people. And so he has good things to say about you. Everybody's got like an auntie or an uncle or a cousin that they don't ever have anything good to say. And you get sitting next to them at Thanksgiving. And you're like, oh, Lord, you're going to have to help me get through this meal without throwing a drumstick. You know what I mean? Like we all got people like that in our life. God is not like that about his children. He speaks life and love over them. So number three, we got to be thankful for other people's obedience. Let me tell you something. Uh, This is something that God has dealt with me about. And I had like conviction of the Holy Spirit of something that I was doing that wasn't good. And it was, I used to think back on the church that I grew up in. And I would pick apart all the things about it that I didn't like. And I would constantly just be telling people, yeah, but this and this. And I went to this church, but this, 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 and this. And uh, I wasn't saying anything life-giving about it. I was just talking about the things that I didn't like at all. And I felt like God convicted me uh, right in the middle of that and reminded me of all the people in that church that spoke life over me, that came and spoke into my life and pointed me uh, away from where I was headed, and to Jesus. There are a lot of people that have spoken into my life 
over the years. And instead, now instead of thinking about all the little things that I could nitpick about a church, I say, God, thank you so much for this person who, who saw me when I was just uh, a little kid from Magnolia, Arkansas. I didn't have anything shy. I wouldn't talk to anybody. And they came and they spoke into my life. They spoke over me. I will tell you, uh, God speaks primarily through his word. Like when I'm reading the word, that's when the Holy Spirit like lights up things in my spirit. But he also sends people to speak into our lives. And you see this happen in this passage. And it says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man named Saul. He's praying. I love, I love Ananias' response here in verse 13. Lord, uh, and he's talking to Jesus, who is appearing to him in a vision. And it's almost like he thinks Jesus doesn't really know the latest. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you've seen Saul's post lately, but he's not in a good spot right now, okay? Uh, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And what is he doing? He's like, uh, there's some hesitation here. This is dangerous. Like, I'm going to go to this guy who is known for being around martyrs, who's known for dragging people off to jail, and you want me to tell him? You want me to pray for him? I think our flesh is always hesitant to obey what God is leading us to do. But to Ananias, Jesus says, go. And so for you today, I would encourage you, if you feel like God has put someone's name on your heart, put them in your mind, and just be faithful to reach out to them and check on them. A lot of times people think about this and they think that it's some like really crazy, wild thing where God, like most of the time when God is leading me to, to speak into someone's life, this is what it is. It's not God gives me like a letter and I'm like, hey, sit down. Do you have a pen? I've got some stuff for you, okay? God gave me a letter for you. It's not like that at all. Like, almost always, this is what it's like. I'm praying, I'm reading the word, and like somebody pops into my mind, or God puts somebody's name in my spirit. And I just either send them a text, hey, how are you? Hey, I'm praying for you today. Hey, checking in. I pick up the phone, I call them. How's it going? And that's it. Like, that's the extent of it. Sometimes I have a scripture that's on my heart for them, and I'll share uh, some, something from the word. But a lot of times it's just like that simple. And so many times I cannot tell you how many times people have said, they're like, I can't believe it. How did you know? How did you know to call me? I can't believe you called me. And I'm like, I can't believe it either, to be honest. Like, I don't know how I knew, you know, but uh, it's God. And so... I would encourage you, um, for those of you in here, that someone has spoken into your life, like they've, because uh, I've had people at various times throughout my life call me out when I'm in sin or when I'm making mistakes, and I'm grateful for it. Like they bring something to my attention that's a blind spot, and they're like, hey, what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, wow, you're right. 
I needed to get that right. Thank you for being obedient to just sharing that with me. When I'm going through stuff with my family, there are people that uh, I call and have called and, and spoken into my life. Even when we were making a decision whether we're going to be pastors here, uh, if we're going to accept that position, it's like people would call and say, I've been praying for you throughout this whole thing, and I really feel like uh, this is what's next for you. Like, I could be wrong here, but I feel like this is something that God is leading you guys to do. And I'll just be like, thank you so much. So if you have someone in your life that has spoken into your life, then today, just shoot them a text and say, hey, thank you for being obedient to, to saying whatever it is that you said. Like, I appreciate that. It brought me encouragement in a time where I didn't even know, but I really needed that. And then ask yourself this question, like, God, where, where are you wanting me to speak up? Like, whose life can I speak into today? Where, where can I bring some encouragement? Who needs it? And whoever it is, pick up the phone, call them, uh, send them a text. You can even write a letter. I hear they still deliver mail. So try something like that. Number four, last one, is this. Be converted from something to something. Saul, Jesus saves him. He calls him. And he calls him out of darkness. But Jesus doesn't just say, hey, Saul, quit persecuting me. I'm taking you out of that. You're not going to be a bad guy anymore. And then just sits him down and says, there you go. He didn't just call him out of something. The Bible says that then he calls him into something. And we got to not just be called out of our sin, but we're called into something else. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This is what he's calling him into. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I've called him out of the darkness, but then I've called him into proclaiming my name all over the place. This is true for Saul, and this is true for you. God didn't just pull you out of something, but he's called you into something. First Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness, but what? Into his wonderful light. After this moment, Saul was never the same. In fact, his name changed. He became Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He called him out of darkness, yes. But look, he called him into light. And what is God calling you into right now? We know a lot of people love to say what they are against. You get on and they talk about on social media and in person, like here are all the things that I'm against. I'm against this. I'm against that. I'm against that. But what are you for? He didn't just call you out of darkness, but he called you to be for some things. He called you into some things. Where is God leading you? What is the vision that God has for your life? that he's given you. He had a plan for Paul. He has the same for you. He had things for Paul to do. He has things for us to do. I was listening to a psychologist the other day, and he said this, and I thought this was interesting. He said, 
He's been working with people going to college for a long time and they start university and a certain percentage never finish. Like they start, but they drop out. And he said, if I can get with someone just as they're getting into college and I can have them sit down and write down, this is what my life is going to look like in five years. Like, this is what I want to happen. I'm going to go through college. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do. He said, if someone will just sit down and write that out, they are 50% more likely to do it than the person that wrote nothing. Like they're 50% more likely to graduate and to finish. This is called future self psychology. And I think for us, like we could try to do the same thing. We could try to paint a picture of our future, but we could get it wrong. But I think for the believer, what I would pray for you is the same thing that Paul prays in Colossians 1 for that church. Paul can pray for anything he wants for this church. And in Colossians, the first chapter, he's saying, I'm thankful to hear you're doing so well. This is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would be full of the knowledge of the will of God for you. Like that you would know what it is that God is calling you to do. And when we're talking about trying to sit down and paint our future, some of us, look, you need to sit down and say, Jesus, here's the brush. You paint it, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk in the way of God. We talk about our lives. We've said this many, many times. You are given a certain amount of time in your life, and no one knows how long it is, but you have a specific amount, and you can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. And my prayer for you is that with this time that God has given you, what you're, he's brought you out of darkness, he's bringing you into something, that's something I pray is an investment into something that will not fade and will not pass away. And let's say Jesus uh, waits 500 years before he comes back. That's a long time. I don't think I'm going to make it to see it, right? 500 years from now, everybody you see, everybody you know, it'll be gone. One thing will remain. It will be the kingdom of God. It will be his church waiting and longing for his return. And so with this life that I'm given, what he's brought me into, I pray is an investment into his kingdom. Amen.